This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Monday, August the 29th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go. Coming up on the show today, shiny Saravanamuthu looks ahead to fighting blindness Canada's Young Leaders Summit. Mark Aflalo will discuss how some Apple users can start editing and unsending text messages. Ho, ho, ho. Loose fingers sink ships. Michelle McQuig reflects on a few of the news stories that made waves on the weekend. And Kim Thistle will review the Netflix documentary series Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. Looking forward to that one. I put the call out a couple of weeks ago saying, I demand to talk about this documentary series. Kim Thistle raised her hand and said, yes, I volunteer as tribute. Let's begin the show with our top story of the day, and it's a series of stories having to do with climate change. A rainfall warning has been issued for inland areas along BC's north coast, including Ketamat, saying the region is expected to receive between 40 and 75 millimeters of rain before it eases later tonight. Environment Canada is also warning that localized flooding in low-lying areas is possible. A special weather statement covers the north coast specifically, where the weather office is calling for 70 to 100 millimeters of of rain lasting through to tomorrow. A new climate-based analysis concludes floods, droughts, and major storms could cost Canada's economy $130 billion over the next 30 years. Rob Westgate looks at the findings. The report, published today by global engineering and architecture services firm GHD, is warning governments and businesses they need to become more resilient in the face of climate change. The staggering financial figure takes into account the cost of physical damage and the economic losses from forced factory shutdowns, washed-out roads, and power outages. The report goes on to say manufacturing and distributing will be hit hardest, followed by the retail sector, banks and insurance companies, energy companies and utilities and agriculture. Rob Westgate, the Canadian Press. A new management plan for Banff National Park will look for better ways to help visitors get around the park in the coming years. It will also work to address climate change and strengthen Indigenous relations. Banff Superintendent Saul Rashid says he's paying close attention to those priorities. Climate change is something that we're paying attention to, and for obvious reasons, I think Canadians expect us to go from talking about climate change and more taking some action against climate change. We talk uh, a lot about uh, moving people sustainably because in many of our national parks, visitation is increasing. Rashid says the focus on Indigenous relations will bring Indigenous knowledge to everything from managing fires to managing the herd of bison in the park. And now we look abroad to more climate change stories. International aid is reaching Pakistan as military and volunteers try to evacuate thousands stranded by widespread flooding driven by monsoons. Charles de Ledesma has the latest. 
Cargo planes from Turkey and the United Arab Emirates have landed in Islamabad, carrying tents, food and other daily necessities for onward transport to the hardest-hit regions. Also trucks carrying tents, food and water arranged by the home country's National Disaster Management Authority are getting aid to tens of thousands of flood victims. So far, exceptionally heavy monsoon rains that triggered flash floods across the country have affected 33 million Pakistanis, damaging over 1 million homes and killing over 1,000 people. I'm Charles Diladesma. And coming back to North America, numerous wildfires are raging in the U.S. West. Nearly 2 million people are under red flag warnings in the region. ABC senior meteorologist Rob Marciano explains. We've got 6 million acres burned so far. That's over a million above average. 15 large fires now burning in Idaho. Red flag warnings for three states for the next couple days. The Rum Creek Fire in remote southwest Oregon almost quadrupled in size to 19 square kilometers on Saturday, forcing evacuations. And then coming to some stories relating to COVID-19, hundreds of people gathered at Western University over the weekend to protest against the school's COVID mandates. Brenda Molina-Navidad recaps the demonstrations. The London, Ontario school is the only university in Canada mandating COVID-19 booster shots and mask wearing for students and staff on campus. Kendra Hancock says she helped organize the protest in an effort to overturn the policy, saying today's demonstration is only the beginning. Students carrying a banner reading Enough is Enough led a march around the university grounds as campus security looked on. And just as the march neared its end, some demonstrators split from the organizers and briefly took over one lane of traffic for a block before dispersing. Brenda Molina-Navidad, the Canadian Press. Meanwhile, BC's top doctor is defending the province's back-to-school pandemic guidelines against criticism from people calling for more stringent protocols. Dr. Bonnie Henry is ready to employ temporary measures if they're needed. I don't see situations where mask mandates broadly in the way they were before. It's a very blunt tool and it's kind of a tool of last resort and it needs to be in the context of of what's happening in the community, what's happening across the province and and the real need for that type of restriction and especially a legal mandate like that. The back-to-school guidelines encourage students and others to get vaccinated and stay at home when they're sick while masking remains optional. Currently across the country, 5,076 people are in hospital with COVID-19. The number is fairly stable week over week. 292 Canadians have died from COVID in the last seven days. And I think the stories I just shared with you are a perfect example of how there is absolutely no winning on making COVID policies. If you make your policy too strong, people protest. If you make your policies not stringent enough, people protest. Everybody is just ticked and it doesn't seem to be any kind of middle ground that we can find here on COVID-19 to keep everybody happy. Let's go to one more story that emerged over the weekend. The federal government is pledging $100 million to fund a five-year plan to support LGBTQ plus communities. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says 75% of the funding will go towards community organizations focused on diversity and inclusion. This is a whole-of-government plan that will guide our ongoing work to fight discrimination, to break down barriers, to advance rights, and to build a future where everyone in Canada is truly free to be who they are and love whom they love. Trudeau reflected further on the history of LGBTQ plus advocacy. The strength and the resilience of your community should inspire everyone 
We see it in your advocacy, your outreach to vulnerable people, and the work you do every day to make your community more inclusive and diverse in every possible way. The announcement was made as Capital Pride celebrations wrapped up yesterday with the annual parade in Ottawa. Saw lots of pictures on social media. Looked like folks were having a good time. Today's Daily Poll. No, let's not today's Daily Poll. Let's get to the Daily Polls, and then we'll talk about today's Daily Poll. But first, we must go into the time machine to last Friday and look at the question we asked you, which was, do you become self-conscious about the impact of aging on your hair? 33% of you said yes. 66% of you said no. 67% of you said no. 33.3% of you said yes. And 66.7% of you said no. But I went for simple calculations this morning. Carolyn writes in, I guess I do. My hair color comes from a box. It's a nice box, mind you, but still from a box. Today's Daily Poll, also a yes-no question, although I think there's some layers we can scrape a bit deeper into it. Do you sleep better on freshly changed bedding? Yes or no? Pillowcases, sheets, blankets, etc. I went through the full, the full process yesterday. Everything got new pillows last week, so new pillows means new pillowcases, fresh sheets, but then I even went a step further. I washed the blankets. I watched the comforter. We made sure the whole bedroom operation was completely cleaned up, and I slept like a baby last night. Slept, had a great night of sleep. There's a reason why I sleep better in hotels, minus all the lights that shine everywhere in hotels. Way too many lights, way too much digital stuff in hotels. But minus that, I always sleep great in hotel rooms. And the reason why? Clean sheets. At least I hope they're clean. To my mind, they're clean. Let's bring in Grace Scofield. Grace, when you change the sheets and change the pillowcases and wash the comforter, do you sleep better? Absolutely. That's like a once a week process for me, usually on a Sunday night to like get ready for the new week. But cleaning the mattress topper, the sheets, all the blankets, the pillowcases, everything. And also I found the more that I wash my pillowcases, the better it is for my skin. I get a lot less acne, the cleaner my pillowcases are. So those get done like probably twice a week, mm-hmm. maybe three times mm-hmm. a week, depending on how I'm doing uh, that three week. Three times a week. Yeah. Holy smokes. Three You're times a week, new pillowcases. A little bit here. Oh my I goodness. know. I know. I wasn't going to. And then I was like, no, I got to bring up the pillowcase thing. Cause if anybody has any acne, it's amazing to wash your pillowcases way more often. And use like a sensitive soap for it too. Not that I want to get too much into gendered speculation, but I also assume makeup may have something to do with that as well, right? That that getting makeup all over your pillowcase probably is not awesome. Yeah, I never, it's like a whole thing, no makeup on any pillowcases ever. Okay. If I'm like going to take a nap, I'd like do it on the couch. Wow. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Aggressive. I like this. I like this proactive policy by Grace. I'm, I'm going to follow your model. I'm, I'm going to get more attentive about these things. It's like, Better. it's my one thing. Yeah, sure. Maybe I'll eat takeout five days a week, but my sheets are always washed on <laughs> Sunday. I <laughs> uh, see. This is, this is a lifestyle that I can get down with. Grace, thank you. I of appreciate course. that. Let's bring in Mike Ross. Mike. When those bed sheets are fresh and the comforter's been washed and the new pillowcases are on, do you sleep better? Oh, 100%, Dave. You know that I am very particular when it comes to my pillows, but I'm even <laughs> more so with the sheets. Mm-hmm. And we were, we've been lucky. We found a small business just about 20 minutes or uh, east of our place. It's like a discount-type store. But they sell the most amazing sheet sets for like near nothing, like a a king size sheet set, quality, quality feel to it for like 40 bucks. 
You do not find sheets wow. this good wow. for 40 bucks anywhere. Now, I'm not telling anybody the name of this place. I'm sorry. I am keeping <laughs> that for myself because it's such a great place to shop. Uh, I'll just say it's in Whitby, Ontario. Okay. And do your research. Okay. Okay. Um, but yeah, there's no doubt that the clean sheets are just amazing. And a little spray, a little lavender mist on there as well helps you fall asleep. The lavender uh, really helps with uh, calming uh, your your senses and calming yourself before you fall asleep. So yeah, uh, you know, <laughs> my wife would say, he looks like a big, strong, tough guy, but he's a big teddy bear, especially <laughs> when it comes to his sheets and his lavender mist. I'm I'm trying to go with more minimalism in my bedroom as well, just trying to get as much clutter out of there as possible. Because, you know, it's really easy to have, like, maybe, say, ties or socks or whatever just kind of pile up on top of your dresser mm-hmm. or just have a lot of stuff on your bed on your bedside table, et cetera, et cetera. You know, maybe phone chargers everywhere. You've got the Apple yeah. charger and then you've got the USB-C, but you also need the micro USB. So I'm trying to get a lot of that clutter out of my bedroom and also going with sort of the overall clean bedroom thing. So beyond sort of maybe the lavender spray or maybe the air purifier, making sure that room is properly dusted on the regular, just making sure everything is up to snuff and just making it a very comfortable, easy breathing experience. So yeah, I think there's uh, there's really something to this clean bedroom thing. Although there's probably folks watching or listening right now being like, of course you should clean your bedroom, Dave. That's Captain Obvious stuff. But, but Dave, let me give you one, I'm going to share one really quick tip here with bedding, right? Everybody talks about, you know, the, the, when they make their beds, they're always looking for that extra pillow. Where's that, where's that pillowcase? I can't find that one pillowcase that goes with this set. It's all over my linen closet. My linen closet is in shambles. So here's the secret. You put your sheets, you put your pillowcases, you put all related blankets, everything into one pillowcase from that set. Everything sort of now has its own bag and you put that pillowcase into your linen closet and then each matching set is inside its own one pillowcase and then you pull that out when it's time to make the bed, you wash the old stuff and when you fold it, when you do your laundry, you fold it, all that set goes back into its own pillowcase and you always have all the matching sheets, all the matching pillowcases, everything is in one basically nice and tidy little package and then you never have a pillowcase missing and your linen closet is super organized. Now we're talking organization and comfort with Mm -hmm. Mike Ross, a little bit of informal sleep science here on Now with Dave Brown. Mike, thank you for this. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour. You got it. That's Mike Ross. At AMI-audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Do you sleep better on freshly changed bedding, yes or no? And, uh, Send in some of your other tips on keeping the bedroom clean and comfy to improve that sleep. Let's go back to Grace Scofield, who has the national weather update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where it's sunny today, becoming a mix of sun and cloud later this morning with a high of 24 degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of shower or drizzle early this morning, but that will clear up later this morning, and the high is 26 degrees. In Montreal, a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers late this afternoon, and a high of 31 degrees. In Ottawa, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 30 degrees. Today in Toronto, it's clear early this morning. 
that'll change and become a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon, where there is also a risk of a thunderstorm. The high is 30 degrees. In Thunder Bay, a few showers ending this morning, then mainly cloudy, with a risk of a thunderstorm early this morning and a high of 24 degrees. Over in Winnipeg, Manitoba, a mix of sun and cloud, becoming cloudy early this morning, a few showers beginning early this morning and ending this afternoon, and then a nice and clear afternoon with a high of 21 degrees. In Saskatoon, it's sunny today and the high is 25 degrees. In Calgary, Alberta, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a high of 24 degrees. In Edmonton, Alberta, it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud this morning with a high of 28 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, it's cloudy with a 30% chance of showers early this morning than a mix of sun and cloud. The high is 18 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, a mix of sun and cloud that will clear up later this morning and the high is 23 degrees. And in Victoria, BC, it's mainly sunny today with a high of 23 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, the Quebec election is underway. Michelle McQuig will reflect on that news when she stops by in just a couple of minutes. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's say hello to Michelle McQuig, the weekend news editor at the Canadian Press. Hey, good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Dave. Michelle, it was a pretty busy weekend on the news front. Let's begin in Quebec. Sure was. Yeah, yeah, it really was. <laughs> so let's begin in Quebec, where the provincial election campaign is underway. And you dove into this yesterday. Did you have any big takeaways from the issues that might be front and center over the next month or so? Well, uh, I mean, some of them are not super surprising. Uh, a couple of parties, that the two primary ones in this election, uh, are trying to make the, ec- the economy the very big ballot box issue. Uh, but there's almost bound to be other ones that come up, specifically language and, and minority rights. Um, we, we've talked at length on the show about Bill 21, Bill 96, uh, various legislative efforts underway to, to ban religious symbols in Quebec, uh, the, the much, much stricter language law that's in place, in place excuse me, with the aim of, quote, protecting French. Uh, those are absolutely bound to come up. They already started to, in fact, yesterday, and I suspect those will be some of the bigger, bigger campaign issues here. But François Legault is considered to have a huge lead in the polls heading into this. It's considered very much his election to lose, and he's talking about his, econ- his economic accomplishments as uh, through the main reason why he should be re-elected and the Liberals who are the currently the official opposition but way behind in both the polls and seats in the legislature are trying to challenge him on that front. Yeah let's listen to some clips actually we have Liberal leader mm-hmm. Dominic Anglade discussing the cost of living yesterday. Ask any Quebecer whether they're better off today than they were four years ago and they'll answer the question by no. Like the, the reality is people don't have as much money in their pockets. People are really suffering for the inflation. People have to choose between feeding their kids or uh, paying the rent. And then, of course, you have Coalition Avenir leader François Legault, also the incumbent premier, touting his economic record. We have a super economic team 
and we're building a green economy. And that's good for everybody. Anglophones, Francophones, everybody. It's good to be in a Quebec where we uh, built the future. Michelle, you referenced it before. Tell me again about the landscape in regards to the polls heading into the campaign. Yeah, so uh, the Coalition Avenir Quebec uh, has formed government with a majority for the past four years. They're widely expected to, to nail that down again, perhaps with an even bigger majority than the last time. We're talking like 30% up in the polls relative to their closest competitor, which is the, uh, the, the Quebec Liberal Party, which has formed government quite often in the past, uh, but has fallen a lot in stature in recent years. Uh, in a similar boat is the Parti Québécois, another you know former huge political force of the province, but right now they only had a handful of seats in the legislature. They're not considered to be a super strong contender for this. Um, there are two other parties that are also in the mix. Uh, Quebec Solidaire, which is more of a left-leaning kind of party, um, um, excuse me, but and, and the uh, Quebec Conservative Party, they're that sort of a splinter group that's come off in, in recent years. They uh, they were around in 2018, they did have a seat in the legislature, um, but now they're poised to make some gains. The polls are showing that they're the one who are, who are standing to sort of potentially gain the most ground. They've, they've elected a new leader who's done a lot to grow their base in recent years. So they're hoping to make a lot of inroads in this election, but it definitely looks at this early stage and barring some very unexpected developments that uh, the CAQ may be back in power in October. Michelle, let's pivot to something regarding federal politics, but certainly has an influence on all politicians at all levels, and that's harassment. Mm -hmm. On Friday, Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland was verbally harassed in Grand Prairie, Alberta. It once again puts that focus on harassment faced by politicians. What was this particular incident on Friday? So what happened here was Christy Freeland was visiting City Hall in Grand Prairie, Alberta. She had a meeting with the mayor. And while she was there, she was confronted by a guy uh, uh, who had a very, excuse me, from what I'm told, a fairly physical, intimidating presence. He was walking towards her as she was heading towards an elevator and started to yell at her. And he was hurling expletives. He was calling her a traitor. He was telling her to get out of Alberta. There's another woman's voice on the recording that's heard to say, you don't belong here. Um, he does not follow her onto the elevator. When Christopher Freeland gets on the elevator, that's when the interaction ends. The video is only about 14 seconds long. But uh, you talked about political reaction across the spectrum, Dave, and you really nailed it because the reaction poured in all weekend from everybody. Uh, you know, past and present conservatives, liberals, NDPs, all, everyone was weighing in on this. And it was very interesting to see the nature of the, the remarks, the thoughts, and even the other anecdotes that were shared. This affects all politicians, but it does disproportionately hit women and people belonging to minority groups. And a lot of women were very candid about this. Uh, Lisa Raitt, a former conservative cabinet minister under Stephen Harper, was writing, for instance, that she had a knot in her stomach being afraid that this guy was actually going to follow Christian Freeland onto the elevator and the potential threat that that could have posed if, if that had happened. Um, a lot of others were agreeing with Lisa Raitt. The mayor of Edmonton had a very candid thread yesterday with some horrifying experiences of harassment that she's faced. Uh, a guy, for instance, calling her at home and saying, I know where you are and you better watch out. And then him showing up at an event shortly thereafter and hissing at her that I was the one who called you. And he sat in the front seat and glared at her the whole time. Um, a replica horse head found in her driveway, which anyone who knows the Godfather is probably shuddering right now at that very thought. Um it, Really graphic stuff, and it was it was very interesting to see a lot of politicians not only voicing support for Christopher Freeland and denouncing what happened, but calling for more action to, to curb harassment, and that actually was taken up by the Prime Minister yesterday as well.
Yeah, we heard the prime minister make comments on that one, and it's it's a, it's a story that's becoming more and more common. Common. We've we've seen this happen even around Parliament Hill with uh, with Jagmeet Singh talking about this. The NDP leader. We saw this happen when Catherine McKenna was the minister of environment, couldn't go to a movie with her family without people yelling at her in the movie theater. Which again seems like it. It just it, it's what we're talking about perpetually with regards to polarization, but also the temperature being turned way up here. Where at times, listen, I think it's fair to yell at a politician. I, I think that politicians like clutching their pearls being sworn at is like a little much. It's like, listen, that that's how people talk. People are going to swear at you sometimes. But sort of the being chased to an elevator or chased after or harassed in public, you know, th- there are lines here in the way like that we have to have decorum as a society. Well, and frankly, telling any elected official to get out of a province in the country in which they were elected as a federal politician is, is frankly kind of absurd. And it's taken to the next level in Christopher Phelan's case by the fact that she was born in Alberta and has yeah. family out there. Yeah. And uh, Jason Kenney, the premier of the province took to Twitter quite quickly after that and, and immediately denounced this and said, you're welcome You're welcome to visit the province of your birth anytime you like. Um, so it, it really is quite a pressing issue and it affects politicians at all levels of government. So it, it's really, um, you're right, we're seeing a lot more instances of this kind of harassment. It's become more prevalent and, and frankly more aggressive yeah. in, in recent years. Michelle, let's uh, turn from the negative and turn positively to the sky. To the, yeah. to the heavens. Uh, <laughs> any moments now, the window will open to launch the Artemis moon mission. What's happening? No, it with... won't. It's been postponed oh, for the moment. Breaking, breaking news with <laughs> Michelle McQuig. Yeah, but it, I, I don't have a, I haven't fully read up yet, but I saw the alert pass that it's been postponed for the moment, but it'll happen soon. So, so yeah, so basically there have been some weather conditions. There were some lightning strikes impacting the launch pad area mm-hmm. yesterday, and that did create some concern about the window that was going to open at 8.33 this morning. But now that window is closed, irrespective, Michelle, what's happening with the mission? Artemis. The Artemis missions are going to be very interesting for all those uh, space enthusiasts out there for the next little while. This is a a series of missions in which there's going to be quite a bit of Canadian involvement down the line uh, that aims to eventually set up a bit of a space station around the moon, which could then serve as a gateway to elsewhere in the solar system. So really exciting stuff for people who are into space exploration. Uh, Artemis 1 was supposed to go up today and be in orbit for a maximum, I think, of about 42 days. Uh, sort of checking the scene out a little bit. Um, Artemis 2, though, is where we start to see a lot more Canadian involvement, and that's set for the next couple of years, and that's one where people would orbit the moon. Uh, this is the first time people would be heading back to the moon since the last set of Apollo missions, so it's been a long time. The Canadian Space Agency has said flat out that there will be a Canadian on the crew of Artemis 2. Uh, Artemis 3, they hope to get people back physically on the moon rather than just orbiting it. And uh, Canada's science is going to be a role in in this whole mission because part of establishing the Lunar Gateway, which is what they're calling the kind of station that they want to set up there, um, will feature a new Canadarm, Canadarm 3. Mm. Uh, It'll have two hands. It's uh, going to be, this is a pretty crucial piece of technology to help, you know, wrangle spacecraft, do some repairs, help out astronauts during spacewalks, uh, be a really valuable tool. We we know that Canada Arm has has been a big one for NASA in, in recent years. And, you know, Canadian science has always been pretty active in this. We, we even play a role in, in some of the James Webb telescope science mm-hmm. that's going mm-hmm. on right now. So, we, yeah. we, actually, we actually had some of the folks from uh, Université de Montréal uh, on the show who were a part of that, who were part, oh, of, that's that, awesome. uh, part of that Very research cool. a couple of weeks ago, which is really neat. Yeah, there's some speculation. No, this is just speculation, but from some experts in the field saying this, these Artemis missions, particularly if you have the unmanned ones, are going to be a precursor to some potential significant Mars exploration, which is uh, really neat as well, using, using some success on 
on the moon, closer to orbit, getting out there and possibly starting to put people on the ground in Mars, which is fascinating. Absolutely. Isabelle Tremblay, who's with the Canadian Space Agency, uh, gave an interview to my colleague Bob Weber uh, last week. And that's explicitly what Bob, she said. Bob's always got the good stories. Yeah, Bob has great talkers. That's like his thing. Um, <laughs> but yeah, she, she said flat out that this spent is meant to be uh, from from the lunar gateway they hope to to further their exploration well beyond where they've gone before and she did explicitly mention mars gosh exciting times in the world of space travel whether Very it be james so. webb or whether it be some of the interesting uh, photographs that were taken of saturn a couple of weeks ago just from regular telescopic cameras on the planet it's uh, sounds like dave times. brown might be one of the space enthusiasts i was talking about uh, dave brown <laughs> is one of these space enthusiasts that you're talking about but who's also terrified <laughs> of space so i'm not going up out there i, I mean fair look from the but, comfort yeah. of a dock on a cottage uh michelle thank you for this you're most welcome. <laughs> That's Michelle McQuig, the weekend <laughs> news editor at the Canadian Press. Coming up next, it's Mike's big business story of the day. But first, we have Canadian press reporter Rob Westgate with your morning business minute. Friday saw investors pull back after a speech by U.S. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell, which forecasted high interest rates in order to bring down inflation. Toronto's S&P TSX lost 299 points to 19,873. In New York, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 1,008 points to settle at 32,283, while the Nasdaq fell 498 points to 12,142. Meantime, it's also been a rough start to the week for Japan's Nikkei, which finished down 762 points at 27,879. As for the Hang Seng in Hong Kong, ahead of closing, it was down over 160 points. Conversations about quiet quitting are everywhere these days. That's essentially clocking in, doing your tasks, and then leaving on time without taking on extra work. Experts are noting that employees do not want to return to pre-pandemic norms. And the loonie trading at 76.51 cents US. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Rob Westgate. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We'll bring in Mike Ross for the big business story of the day in just a couple of minutes. And I've got some really important broadcasting information about Now with Dave Brown that goes into effect this Thursday, September the 1st. But before we get to any of that, I also have the Accessibility Story Roundup. Ah, <laughs> this one coming to you from the Cornwall Standard Freelander, written by Todd Hamilton. Cornwall firefighters need to know signs of autism. Firefighters in Cornwall are being told that people on the autism spectrum are seven times more likely than others in society to have an encounter with a first responder as part of training sessions. Now, the person running these sessions is Jen Fullerton. Fullerton is a music and science teacher at Bridgewood Public School in Cornwall and has a child on the spectrum. By the end of this past week... Jen will have performed and provided 30 free sessions over the years, most for various fire and police departments across eastern Ontario. Fullerton will be speaking later this year to members of the Ottawa Fire Services, and her efforts will be featured on the regional contact segment on CTV News Ottawa. The sessions stress the importance of accommodation in interaction and point out that people may have an adverse reaction during a traumatic situation, so communication and understanding 
are critical. The Cornwall Fire Department is actually arranging sessions for anyone on the spectrum to come have meet and greets to better understand individual needs. Visits can be scheduled by contacting the platoon chief at 613-930-2787, extension 2393. I know I said that fast and maybe you didn't have your pen ready and nearby, or maybe you didn't have your phone opened up into the notes app. So I'll give that to you one more time. If you're in the Cornwall area and do want to have a meet and greet with a local department to learn more about your autism accommodation needs in case of emergency, 613-930-2787, extension 2393. The other note that I want to pass along to you is that as of this week, there's some changes brewing on Now with Dave Brown. And I'm sure you've noticed us saying goodbye to a couple of regular contributors over the course of the last few weeks. And we've said hello to a couple of new ones, including saying hello to Brock Richardson, who's going to be stepping in for Jeff Ryman on the sports chat later this week. But beyond some editorial changes on the show, the way we bring the show to you is going to change ever so slightly. We will still be live 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., Mondays to Fridays, but we're no longer going to be on AMI-audio on your TV, and we're no longer going to be on AMI.ca as a web broadcast, and this is as of Thursday. We'll still be on AMI-tv as a video-only show, but the audio will be made available for you via podcast platform. So if you listen to the show on AMI-audio through your television, that's not a problem for you because you can get the show just like you do by heading over to AMI-tv. If you have AMI-audio, you have AMI-tv through your cable package, or what's called a national must-carry. Now, you may not know the exact channel number for AMI-tv. Maybe just you listen to AMI-audio out of habit. So what I want you to do is head over to ami.ca slash schedules. You'll punch in your postal code, you punch in your provider, and it'll pop up what channel AMI-tv is to get the video-only feed. If you are someone who does not have cable in Canada or listens internationally at AMI.ca, at that point, you're going to be restricted to using the podcast. And as I've encouraged you before, you should be downloading and subscribing to the podcast as it stands. That podcast is made available on all major podcasting platforms. So if you go to Spotify or Apple, Apple Music or Apple Podcasts, whatever that app's called, I'm not an Apple person, you know that, and punch in Now with Dave Brown, it'll be available for you. Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcasting platform, it will be there for you. So again, for some of you, you're not going to get the live experience anymore at AMI.ca or on AMI-audio, but you can still catch the video portion of this show with yours truly. You can see my beautiful face at AMI-tv, but you can still catch the podcast by looking for Now with Dave Brown on your favorite podcasting platform. And I'm going to remind you about that a couple times this week because I want to make sure everybody is in the no. Let's bring in Mike Ross for the big business story of the day. Mike, you've got a bit of a look ahead for us here. Yeah, this is kind of neat. Um, we've talked about how we, you know, with the pandemic restrictions starting to lift, people are getting out, people are going to restaurants, and you know, here in Canada. And the, the talk is that a lot of people have been going back to movie theaters. That certainly, anecdotally, I can say, yeah, I've seen a lot of people at the movies. I've seen lineups at the movies, at the snack bars. So I've seen lots of people yep. there. However, so have I. So have I. South of the border, different story. And so the Cinema Association, uh, the National Cinema Association in the United States, 
they've gotten together with a lot of the, the big studios, a lot of the big cinema owners and said, we need to do something to get people back, especially this coming weekend, Labor Day weekend, which traditionally is one of the slow weekends at movie theaters because it's the last long weekend before everybody starts heading back to work and heading back to school. Yeah, you go to the college, so launch, you watch college football, or yep. you uh, have your fantasy football draft. Absolutely. So how do you Those are the only three that? acceptable activities on Labor Day weekend. <laughs> well, swimming. <laughs> nope, yeah. nope, 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 Empire. nope, 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 and it's going to be another one because it's going to be so cheap to go to a movie in the United States. National Cinema Day, September 3rd. Major chains, including AMC and Regal Cinemas, are participating. So are all the major film studios. $3 to go to see a movie. Uh, that was announced that it'll be a countrywide discount at more than 3,000 cinemas that have over 30,000 screens nice. comprised in all of that. So on what is traditionally a slow, in fact, the slowest movie weekend, uh, you're going to see, hopefully, for businesses south of the border, a bit of an uptick there because it's going to be $3 for a movie for every showing and every format. So it doesn't matter if you're going to see the the 3D, Ooh, the, the, okay. the IMAX, okay. doesn't matter what format, it's three bucks. So this would be a weekend for people to binge at the, at the cinema if they can uh, in the United States. Nice way to make the uh, cinema going experience a little more affordable. Although Saturday, the third, which is National Cinema Day, that's the first day of college football, Mike. I have it big is. mac and cheese and chili plans. That's how I'm going to be rolling on Saturday and feeling very uncomfortable on Sunday. Well, I think you can get some mac and cheese and chili at certain theaters now. I mean, it's quite an extensive menu, Dave. If you wanted to, you know, just expand it a little bit, maybe take a break, you know, one of the maybe lesser games, you know, just step out of the house for a couple of hours, take in that $3 movie, and then head back. On the first day of real football, Mike, there is no such thing as a lesser game. They're all very important, and, you know, there may be a shekel or two I used through the very legal Ontario Sportsbook website to uh, make Fair it even point. more interesting. Mike, before I let you go here, we'll talk to you again for the regional news up Date in a couple of minutes. I, I had a I had an experience yesterday. I've got a wedding coming up in a couple of weeks, not not my own, but I have to wear a suit for the first yes. time since well, since the pandemic. And yesterday mm. I went into my dry cleaning bin, which has not been taken to the dry cleaners since 2020, and I had to see do any of my suits still fit. Thankfully, yep. one does. It's off to the dry cleaner today. I'm very excited. Mike, is there anything more rewarding and feeling good than knowing that a piece of formal wear still fits after a couple of years of, let's just say, uh, some yo-yo in my lifestyle? How about a piece of leisure wear? So yesterday <laughs> I needed a pair of shorts. And so I reached into the closet and there's like three or four of these it's a fancier looking shorts, you know, like when you're going out to a nicer dinner or whatever, okay. but it's still yep. kind of casual. Yep. Uh, so I grabbed these and I know for a fact I could not wear these last summer. Well, I hoped, crossed my fingers, jumped into them and they fit right on. Oh, that was glorious. So what did that do, Dave? That encouraged me not only to keep doing what I'm doing, but then even at going out for dinner last night, not gorging, not yep. having a huge yep. meal. You know, I enjoy the feeling of being in these shorts and being able to wear them again and, and feel like, hey, I look good in these. So, yeah, we, we went a little easy. We didn't order the appetizer of the uh, lobster dip, <laughs> although... 
oh, I really would have yeah, liked it, but no, the yeah. wings and fries was enough. <laughs> there you go. I love it, Mike. Balance in life. Mike, thanks for this. We'll talk to you for the regional news update in a couple minutes. You got it. That's Mike Ross. Coming up next, Kim Thistle will review the Netflix documentary series Trainwreck, Woodstock 99. We're going to break stuff with Kim Thistle. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Now with Dave Brown on AMI. It's a Monday edition of AMI at the Movies. A few weeks ago, I was raving about how captivated I was by the Netflix documentary miniseries Trainwreck, Trainwreck Woodstock 99, and I demanded that someone on our team watch it and chat with me about it. The three-day music festival in upstate New York was notable for its musical lineup and for the chaos that ensued. Well, film reviewer Kim Thistle stepped up to the challenge, and Kim is here to review the documentary miniseries. Hello, Kim. Hi, Dave. How's it going? I said, I'm so, yeah, it's interesting that you, you know, your perspective on it, because I'm excited for us to change views. I don't even think 10 minutes will be enough. I mean... I feel that we, yeah, we could really <laughs> tear the, do this one a lot, right? Well, well, Kim, I know we've got 11 and a half, so, you know, we're, we're making some <laughs> progress here. Kim, let, let's start in the time machine. I was about 15 years old in the summer of 1999. Woodstock was very much on my radar, and I had all kinds of envy that I was missing out on seeing a bunch of my favorite bands. As you joined me in the time machine, was it on your radar? Not at all, and I won't tell you how old I was then, but I was pregnant on my first child, working full-time, and going to university part-time. So Woodstock 99, and my father had been just, you know, diagnosed with cancer, so new Woodstock 99, what What are you talking about? I must have heard something somewhere along the way, but no, it was not as you were. (laughs) And let's go back. I mean, the Woodstock, when they put the documentary, they said, Peace, love, and rage. I mean, wow. Like, we are not talking about the Woodstock of the 60s, right? No. Whoa. No, not at all. So the series casts a pretty wide net to capture different experiences on the ground from different people. What did you think of that technique? Did you feel like you were experiencing the festival through their eyes? You know what? I thought it was really interesting. I like that. I have to say, at first it was like, okay, first when I was given this task of watching this movie and I'm thinking three series, like three parts, like what the heck is going to, what are they going to talk about to make it even that interesting? But once, you know, my friend and I got into it and we watched it over three nights, it was like, like even after the first night, it was like, oh my gosh, they're out of control. And it was like from the first night. So, um, yeah, it's. Uh, I forget your question now. <laughs> it was. It was. It was about the way in which they told it through perspectives, yeah. oh, like yeah, through, through yeah. some of the security guards, through some of the organizers, yeah. through attendees. Exactly. So that was really good because, well, they. They. My apologies for losing my train of thought there, but um, yes, because they had artists talk, like Jewel talked, and the leader, the, the band member of Corn. Um, they had the, the promoters and, and Michael Lang. That was his name. And then the, the, the attendees, yes, I like that because I think everyone told as they saw. And they were not security guards. They were called peace Oh, patrol. yeah, sorry. 
<laughs> yeah, that's right. They definitely uh, were not called security because there was very no. little security work done as it stood. Uh, Kim, there is some pretty jarring stuff that is revealed in this documentary. For example, one attendee talking about developing trench mouth after drinking tainted water. What horrible thing made you sit upright in your chair? Oh, my gosh. What didn't? Like, all I kept thinking was, oh, my God, if I had children attending this, I think I would have been, like, just out of my mind with worry. And and I know it's so bizarre. We're going to get to your 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 impression, too. But, what you know what, everything, it wasn't just one thing. I think truly the sexual harassment, I don't even know if harassment is better word, sexual disregard, the sexual abuse. I, I guess it's better to say that we know a young girl was raped, the sexual assault on the women. I mean, how many babies came out of Woodstock, I, of this particular Woodstock alone? The violence itself, like you're showing scenes on the screen now, like different things that have happened. It's just, I found the whole thing jarring and disturbing. Yeah. And, it- yeah, it, it, it was something that um, that I, I I knew these details, right, because I was following the festival as it was happening. And I certainly was following right. the news stories upon the festival descending into total chaos and the fires right. that got lit the night the Red Hot Chili Peppers were on stage to conclude the show. I mean, mm-hmm. I found it jarring. That, that beyond the way that people had sort of really music festivaled pretty aggressively for a couple of days, that at the end of that, some genius decides to hand out 100,000 candles and then thinks, know. you know, like th- nothing bad can happen if we hand out 100,000 torches to people on the ground who've been drinking for three days and already tearing this place apart. And did you not think like all I kept watching is I'm watching is how come no one is dead? Like, how come no one died during these three days? I mean, I, could, I mean, there's images of, you know, the mosh pit and then they're falling on their head almost. And then there's images of taking down the uh, the big tower and, and taking the car and driving through a crowd. And all I kept saying, how come no one died? And did you realize that no one died during that event? Yeah. But after the show ended? There was three deaths, like someone, you know, leaving and got ran over and someone had a heart attack. And and I can't remember the third one. But it was like, oh, my God, they were like no one. Like, why did no one end up in jail with this whole thing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Kim, I think that that's one of the things that the documentary does. It really lays out the fact that this was a poorly planned festival. Uh, I, I would even say that using the word exploitative from an organizational standpoint yes. was we're going, to, we're, we're going to understaff, yeah. we're going to overcharge people for basic necessities, yeah. we're not going to protect these basic necessities, we're not going to protect women, we're not going to make this a safe experience for people, not even like tangentially safe, right? Like music festivals by their nature are an adult place, right? So I try not to clutch my pearls too, too much about, oh no, there was moshing and there was dancing and there was drinking and there was drug use. No, that's a music festival. Like that still goes on to this very day. But you as an organizer have to do something to mitigate some of those dangers. Exactly. And it's almost like they were clueless about it or something, or or did they truly think that it was still the same generation that we had in the 60s that was about peace and love and harmony. I mean, in the 60s, they prepared the food and they gave out free water and they did all those things. This one was, let's sublet someone to do the um, sanitation, you know, the toilets, and let's sublet someone else to do the water and sublet the contractor for, for um, you know, the, the water, the fresh water they had running, plus sublet the con- 
for um, concession. Four dollars a bottle of water, and then the prices kept going up. And this is the hottest time that is there. And then, oh my God, wasn't it disgusting? Like day two, the toilets were overflowing, yeah. and they were, yeah. And then, and then they're saying they're playing in the mud, and it's actually, you know, what it is, oof, right? Oof, yeah, <laughs> disgusting. Oh. Yeah, you, if, if you treat people like animals, they're eventually going to behave like animals, right? And that's something that I actually thought the, the documentary could have gone a little bit further into, but the fact, because I do think there was a little bit of sort of generation shaming going on, like, oh, look at these kids in the 90s listening to aggressive music. Uh, whereas, like, look at these kids in the 90s who you put into a concrete box for three days and essentially tortured and then we're like well they behaved so poorly well you know maybe you can do a little bit more to try and like encourage positive behavior rather than exploit them uh kim so along these lines one of the things that i thought maybe was lacking from this documentary was maybe even a bit of a deeper dive into how important musically woodstock 99 was for the era pretty much if you were a big band in the 90s and weren't on Vans Warped Tour that summer, you were on Woodstock 99. Would you have tolerated an extra episode or two if they'd taken a slightly deeper dive into the wide, broad-ranging music that was available at this festival? Well, um, personally, no. I think that could have been another show. Like, there, there has, I haven't checked, but there must be a video of Woodstock music, of that 99 of the music. And as you said, you know, it was completely different music. I mean, they... I, I don't know. We can almost discuss about the, the 90s and the generation. And in some way, me watching it, and I know this, I'm not going to be very popular. For me, it felt like in a way, yes, all those terrible factors, but the way that the kids reacted was a bit excessive in a sense. Like, And then they thought, yes, there is a shaming of the, the 90s youth. But part of me, I came out thinking, yeah, they were a bit entitled and, and arrogant. And I'm, I'm really trying to find that balance of not blaming them because, yes, the, the producers and the organizers had to take on so much. But it, 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 I'm struggling with that part, feeling that, you know, that this was the way that they had to um, solve their problem. Yeah. And yeah. I know it, we're igniting them as they're going through. Like you said, we're being more, it's a different generation as well. Like you said, the mosh pits is a different thing from the um, Woodstock 69. We know that there's more different kinds of drugs, there's more alcohol, but they came in there in a, almost angry in a sense. And I don't know if that's fair enough to say. I mean, who's the favorite band they're all waiting for it was Corn. For me, I would say, have that separate video, not add it on this. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I do also think that we maybe romanticize Woodstock 69 a little bit. Like, to, to, like there was a lot of group sex going on there with people yeah. under the influence. With a very modern lens on that, like, there was sexual assault happening at Woodstock 69 as well. So it's really important not to overly romanticize these things and say, in 1969, nothing bad happened at that festival. Exactly. We were all just, yeah. Yeah. I was born during that generation, but you're right. We cannot say that, you know, yes, it was just very... um. Uneventful. Kim, this was a very busy documentary miniseries over the course of these two hours. How was the described video? The described, in the beginning of the first show, I was a bit disappointed because they said um, images of Woodstock 69. And that was it. They didn't tell me what the images were. But as it went along, I felt that 
either I was getting more adjusted to the video, the, the, you know, the three part. I felt that they did get a bit better. You know, they did say, you know, the band member dancing naked and the tower being torn down. That You know, he was climbing the tower and the, the pieces of wood coming down. So it, I felt it got a bit better as it went along. How about you? What did you feel? Did I, you feel that you, you got the whole experience? So, so I didn't need to watch it with the Scrabby video because of the uh, the limited vision that I have. So I, I, I felt like there was a lot there, though. It moved fast. They were moving on yes. contributors quickly. There were a lot of voices yeah. being brought in. So it's one of those things where I think Amy Amanti always kind of says, sometimes I have to watch these things twice when they move this quick. And this one was definitely this was a music yeah. video and a documentary and utter chaos. And I can see where yeah. this is one where you need really, really good, well-detailed described video. Yeah. And, it, and you weren't able to give like the true de- I felt there was a little bit more that they could have told us. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Kim, we've only got 30 seconds here, but do you recommend yeah. someone taking the two hours and watching the miniseries? And well, I felt it was three hours. So <laughs> I think it's your generation truly would enjoy it, you know, or, or anybody who's a music buff, you know, someone who enjoys the experiences of black concerts or how things are put together. I think that would be people for yeah. to really yeah. appreciate. Kim, thank you for this. We appreciate it. So glad to have you back on the show. <laughs> Just glad to be back. Thanks. That's Kim Thistle with a review of Trainwreck Woodstock 99. You can find it on Netflix. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, and the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I'm Dave Brown. It's Monday, August the 29th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, Shani Saravanamuthu looks ahead to Fighting Blindness Canada's Young Leaders Summit, and Marco Flalo will discuss how some Apple users can start editing and unsending text messages for when those fingers get a little too loose. Okay. Before we bring in Mike Ross for the regional news update, I've got a couple of news stories that I want to share with you as well, beginning internationally, where the International Atomic Energy's chief says a mission to a nuclear plant in Ukraine is underway. Here's Charles de Ledesma. International Atomic Energy Agency Director General Rafael Grossi says the UN nuclear watchdog's long-awaited expert mission to the Zaporizhia power plant is now on its way. Writing on Twitter, he says the team will arrive later this week. The agency has for months sought access to the plant, Ukraine's and Europe's biggest, which Russian forces have controlled since soon after the war began. Russia and Ukraine have traded claims of strikes at or near the plant in recent days, intensifying fears the fighting could cause a massive radiation leak. I'm Charles Tuladesma. And in a related story, Russia blocked an agreement on the final document at a UN conference reviewing the nuclear treaty. Ben Thomas explains. The Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty is 50 years old and considered the cornerstone of nuclear disarmament. But the review produced criticism of Russia's military takeover of Europe's largest nuclear power plant and its invasion of Ukraine. Russia and Ukraine have each accused the other of shelling the Zaporizhia plant. The conference's final document, which required unanimous approval, would have had the parties express grave concern for the military activities at or near the facility. Russia maintains there was no consensus and insists many countries objected to a host of issues. I'm Ben Thomas. 
And coming back to Canada, we're still looking at some of the fallout from the dismissal of Lisa Laflamme from CBC, uh, CTV. The head of Bell Media's parent company says the decision to end Lisa Laflamme's contract had nothing to do with her age, gender, or gray hair. Emily Javesky has the story. Mirko Bibic says in a LinkedIn post, removing the longtime CTV national news anchor reflects massive changes to traditional broadcasting in Canada. The uproar over Lisa Laflamme's abrupt ouster has seen Bell Media Vice President of News Michael Melling take a leave from his job. Bibic says Melling has been the subject of various allegations and is on leave pending the outcome of a workplace review. A list of high-profile Canadians issued an open letter on Saturday saying the decision highlights the sexism and ageism women continue to face in the workplace. Emily Jovesky, The Canadian Press, Toronto. All right, let's bring in Mike Ross for the regional news update. Thank you, Dave. We'll begin in BC and travelers reported waiting for hours to get through security at Vancouver International Airport yesterday as a result of what the airport described as an unexpected staffing shortage among security screeners. A statement from the Canadian Air Transport Security Authority says its contractor, Allied Universal, was experiencing high absenteeism at YVR. Some passengers told reporters they'd been waiting up to three hours to get through security in a line that stretched across the airport. YVR says there were 17 screening lines open, while 20 to 23 lines would be typically open on a day with Sunday's level of traffic. To the prairies, a 15-year-old boy who was the subject of a Canada-wide arrest warrant in connection with two deaths in Winnipeg last week has been arrested. 54-year-old Marvin William Felix died Thursday due to injuries sustained during an assault last Monday. And police say the death is being investigated in connection with the killing of 36-year-old Danielle Don Ballantyne that same morning. Investigators obtained a court order late last week authorizing the release of the teen suspect's identity, and they said yesterday in a news release that he was arrested and taken into custody. A second 15-year-old suspect in the deaths is already in custody. To Ontario, three months after a devastating tornado ripped through a town northeast of Toronto, displaced residents of Uxbridge say they are struggling to find alternate accommodation. The tornado that hit Uxbridge was embedded in a derrico, that's a windstorm, associated with a line of thunderstorms. The May natural disaster that swept across southern Ontario and Quebec left at least 11 people dead and downed trees and power lines causing extensive damage to buildings. Many residents and tenants are searching for housing while they wait on repairs to their houses and apartment buildings, but say they have found themselves priced out of the town's tight rental market. To Quebec, incumbent premier and Coalition Avenir Quebec leader François Legault is beginning the first full day of the election campaign with a news conference in the Quebec City area. Legault will attend a lunch with party members in Rivière-du-Loup, Quebec, and he'll speak to reporters again in the afternoon south of the provincial capital. Liberal leader Dominique Anglade is holding a news conference this morning in Quebec City, and then at 6 p.m. she'll attend a gathering with members at a restaurant in the provincial capital. Quebec Solidaire spokesman Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois is releasing an election promise on health care in Montreal. Parti Québécois leader Paul Saint-Pierre Plamondon is holding several events, including a news conference in Montreal this morning, where he'll release a new charter of the French language. 
and Conservative Party of Quebec leader Éric Jaime is speaking to reporters this morning in a Quebec City suburb about his plan to build a new transport link connecting both sides of the St. Lawrence River. And in the Atlantic region, Newfoundland and Labrador's Human Rights Commission will begin hearings today in a discrimination case against a local school district. Todd and Kim Churchill brought the complaint forward on behalf of their deaf son, Carter. They say their son's teachers have had varying degrees of ASL training, and he was left socially isolated from his peers. Todd Churchill says he hopes that as a result of the hearings, his son will finally get an education that is equitable to hearing children. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's say hello to an old friend, but kind of a new face when it comes to Now with Dave Brown. It's Brock Richardson and the Sports Chat. Brock, welcome aboard the show. We're grateful to have you here. Welcome to being our sports reporter. You're going to be filling in, well, you're going to be taking the role of Jeff Ryman that he's done for so many years. Brock, regular viewers and listeners are familiar with the work that you do, but give everybody a little bit of an introduction about yourself and the work you do in sports media. So uh, if we went back a little bit, uh, in uh, 2017, I took a a uh, radio broadcasting course that was specifically designed for individuals with disabilities. From there, I met Andy Frank, and then we pitched the neutral zone. And then uh, ever since, I've been doing backup work for Jeff, for Kelly, for Ramia. I've just been all over the network and, you know, shining a light on sports and parasports. And so that's what we're going to do here uh, moving forward. And I just want to shout out Jeff. Jeff did a wonderful job with this. And, uh, you know, with his new role that will come out sooner rather than later, it just means that we just got to shuffle the deck. And I'm happy to be here and talking sports with you, as we've done a few times on a daily and regular basis. Yeah, we traded traded an ace for an ace as we uh, shuffled the deck. So we're glad to have you on board, Brock. I know we had you doing a lot of coverage for us during the uh, Paralympic Games this past year, which we really, really enjoyed your perspective on that one. And that's actually one of the first updates you want to give us today, because Women's World para ice hockey was taking place all weekend long so uh, any key highlights from that event yes uh very key um first of all canada got off to a rough start uh losing five to nothing against the united states the schedulers were not too kind to both canada and united states starting them out at their first uh world championship with playing each other but they uh really played a, a an interesting game the united states kind of really kind of smothered them and just kind of said, we're taking this over. Then they went on to play World and uh, Great Britain, and they beat them by a combined score of 18 to nothing. I don't think this is of any surprise. And then, of course, we went on to play the United States again, and sadly, the United States won again 5-1. So sort of a, a disappointing result for Canada, but also a good one at the same time, because let's be fair, this is the first World Championships, and... They they wanted to represent well, and I think they did that. Yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about the first one, the first one matters, and certainly the expectation in Canada when it comes to anything hockey-related, whether it's para-hockey, blind hockey, or or standard mainstream hockey, it's uh, it's gold. That's the expectation. So silver is certainly a bit of a letdown, but either way, getting that event off and running and uh, getting a couple rivalry games at the U.S. is always a good one. Hey, Brock, I know you also wanted to touch a little bit on some of the issues that are surrounding hockey in Canada right now might impact some fun around para sports. 
yes. And so if we look at what's going on with Hockey Canada, and we all know what's going on, we don't need to delve into that right now. But I think this is going to have a direct impact on uh, um, hockey in Canada, on the women's para side specifically. And the reason I say that is because the women's para ice hockey program is very new, and it's very... um, you know, in its infant stages. And because of all of this um, stuff that's going on behind the scenes, I don't know if Hockey Canada's priority is going to be funding the women's game. I think they have a lot to worry about uh, in their own walls, let alone funding the women's program, which is very, very sad. And I hope I'm wrong in saying this. It's just a gut feeling that I have, you know, moving forward. And I just think that, you know, we could be in some trouble with having this because, we, we've seen it where they're like, oh, let's get them to the Paralympic Games. Yeah, but you need a world championship. Yeah, that's been checked off now. But now, can we sustain that with Hockey Canada and their issues going on? It will remain to be seen for sure. Yeah, during the course of the fallout of this controversy, a couple of the sponsors who've pulled their money have said, no, 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 we're not pulling our money from the equitable programs. We're just pulling it from the men's programs. Or when the government pulled the money that they pulled, oh, no, 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 it's about it's about the controversy surrounding the men's program. But the problem is, Brock, it's all still one big pot of money. And as much as either the sponsors or the governments or even Hockey Canada themselves saying, no, 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 this isn't going to impact women's hockey. It's not going to impact para-ice hockey. It's not going to women, affect women's para-ice hockey. The fact is, if the pot shrinks, if the overall pot shrinks, it just stands to reason there's going to be a cascading effect in the, in the equity programs. Yeah, and the truth is, can we really trust anything that's coming out of Hockey Canada right now? No, they're going to tell you that it's not going to affect this or that or sponsors are going to do it. But but as you point out, very, very rightfully so, when the pot shrinks, everyone's going to have to take a chunk out of that pie and say, well, you're going to cut it here, you're going to cut it there. And unfortunately, the women's program is not on level playing field with everybody else. And so that, to me, is going to be the first cut because they're not officially under the umbrella of Hockey Canada as of today. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's where I think we're going to have some trouble. It'd be one thing if they were already under the um, official umbrella, but they're not. So when they're not there to begin with, that certainly stands to reason that the funds are going to be cut, whatever they were uh, now and moving forward. And, and I have concerns about that. Brock, we're going to have you on the Parasport beat a lot for us, but we're also going to be talking about major professional sports as well. I'm going to force you to talk about NFL football uh, a bunch because that's that's how I roll. Uh, but I want to get your observations on the Toronto Blue Jays with a disappointing weekend after a beautiful winning streak coming home with a lot of momentum. They got spanked by the Angels. They did, and they only scored three runs in total. That's not going to do it. And when you have a team that's, you know, on a six-game losing streak and then they turn around and win three games in a row, and I get it, Shohei Otani, Alec Manoa lived up to the bill, all yeah. well and good. Yeah. But but you got to take advantage of teams when they're down. And this is the problem we've seen with the Toronto Blue Jays over and over and over again. And the truth is, are they a good team? Yeah, 100% they're a good team. They're a good team on paper. They have to show it on the field. And the errors and the effort with Teoscar Hernandez, it's just it's it's not good when you're not running fully to second base and just kind of letting the guy touch the bag. Like, you're a professional player. Play hard or don't play at all. And if yeah. he's injured, Dave, 
then take him off the field. Like there's no reason why he needed to be there if he's injured because yeah. that's what I kept hearing on the broadcast. And it's like I don't I don't buy that. I just don't. If the foot's if the foot's broken or it's strained or it's sprained, the fact is it's not going to get healthy if you play on it every day. You got to give it three or no. four days. Give it a week. The fact is this team is likely going to make the playoffs, although that has now become once again in doubt based on the most recent losing streak. I feel like I'm having this conversation every week. Oh, they're safe now. Oh, no, they're not safe. But the fact is this team needs to be working their way up to a potential playoff run here, which means don't beat up that foot, rest the foot, bring in somebody else, and just and and play play smart with your roster right now and yeah definitely get that get that intensity up because it seems like that was the whole thing all weekend there was no intensity especially when you bring in the world series team you bring in the anniversary world series team on the weekend and you just lay an egg it's it's pretty disappointing stuff yeah no 100% it is and and again this is where i get exhausted and you're going to hear me get passionate day after day about these things because they get exhausted of oh we know the team's talented yeah prove it to me because that's <laughs> you're not proving it to me and we can all say everyone's talented they've been telling the Toronto Maple Leafs they've been talented since 1967s where's that got them nowhere so you know like <laughs> it's just the truth of, of sports and anyone can beat anyone on any given day I look forward to tormenting you about the Leafs moving forward but today we call it a day Brock you came out of this cannon firing always great having you on the show looking forward to regular contributions my friends Love it. That's, Always fun. That's Brock Richardson. He's the host of the Neutral Zone on AMI-audio, and he's our new sports reporter. Let's bring in Grace Scofield for the National Weather Update. Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. In this hour, we start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it is a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 22 degrees. In Charlottetown, a mix of sun and cloud with a high of 25 degrees. Today in St. John, it's sunny with a high of 22 degrees. In Quebec City, a mix of sun and cloud today with a high of 28 degrees. In Toronto, it's clear early this morning that a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers late this morning and this afternoon with a risk of a thunderstorm as well. The high is 30 degrees. In Sault Ste. Marie, a few showers ending early this morning, then mainly cloudy with a 40% chance of showers later this morning and some showers this afternoon, with a risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 25 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, a few showers ending early this morning, then clearing with a risk of a thunderstorm early this afternoon and a high of 25 degrees. In Regina, it's sunny today with a high of 24 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's mainly sunny and the high is 28 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's also mainly sunny and the high is 27 degrees. Today in Whitehorse, it's cloudy with a 60% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon with a high of 16 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, a mix of sun and cloud becoming sunny this afternoon with a high of 29 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, a mix of sun and cloud today. That'll clear up later this morning with a high of 23 degrees. 
And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, Mark Aflalo will discuss how some Apple users can start editing and unsending text messages. That's welcome relief for some folks. But first, there are a few concerns being expressed about some health tracking apps. Here's Sherry Preston with Tech Trends. Dr. Jessica Shepard is an OBGYN. She says apps like Flow Pregnancy and Glow Nature have become important parts of many women's lives. These apps have been used for women for years now when we think of their cycle, sexual activity, even things such as if they have abnormal periods and they really want to find a way to track them. The Mozilla Foundation, an online privacy nonprofit, is out with a new report examining 25 popular period tracking apps and services, finding most have vague privacy policies regarding how they share data with law enforcement. These are important technology, but now we're looking at the concern of sharing that information when it's a very sensitive and private issue. The Natural Cycles app earned a commendable mention from Mozilla, but only one app called Yuki ranked in the best of category. With Tech Trends, I'm Sherry Preston, ABC News. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Marka Flalo of Double Tap TV has some good news for you. If you've ever sent out a text and then we're like, uh-oh, at least if you're an Apple user. Mark, of course, is the co-host of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. And we say good morning to Mark in Montreal. Hello, Mark. Hello, Dave. How are you? I'm well. So, Mark, Excellent. unsending and editing text messages. What's going on with this iOS software update? Well, you know, people might be familiar with this kind of feature if they think back to like their office exchange systems where they can recall emails when they send it accidentally a little too early. You forgot to sign off or you forgot to, you know, throw in some expletives at some someone you're pissed <laughs> off with. Well, nowadays, uh, it's been obviously it's hard to do that. We've heard stories on Twitter and Facebook, people wanting to be able to edit their tweets. And there's obviously some issues there. But now in iOS 16, which is slated for release in just a couple weeks now, uh, you're you're going to have the ability to, after you send an iMessage, and let's remember, iMessage is only between iPhone and iPhone users, uh, you'll be able to, within two minutes, actually recall that message, delete it entirely, or even edit that. So if that you know accidental message maybe too late at night after you got home after a long night and you sent it, and you're like, oh, wait a second, maybe I shouldn't have sent that. If you've got two minutes to spare, uh, you can unsend that or you can edit that. <laughs> you can make sure you don't piss anybody off in the wrong way. Uh, a feature that's been in the works, I mean, the people have been asking for this for, for years now. Uh, on the Android side, uh, you tell me, is this something that you can do on the Android side? I don't think so. I've never been able to do it on an Android to Android uh, blue message or a Samsung to Samsung blue message. But where you can do it is on WhatsApp, which I've always found very yes. appreciative. Because every now and then, especially in some of those group chats, as you say, sometimes a little closer to the uh, late night shawarma, maybe you have a little bit of a take that's a teensy <laughs> bit spicier than the garlic that you're eating. I like that late night shawarma. I do late night like nine nine cent pizza, but we're gonna be. Yeah, no, WhatsApp is one of those apps that are so over uh, underrated. I think because it's just 
you know, when there was a gap in the market for messaging across platforms, and this goes back to the BlackBerry Messenger days, you yeah. know, and people yeah. didn't let go of their BlackBerry because they didn't want to get rid of that one feature uh, and suddenly got sucked into it on a new operating system. WhatsApp filled the gap, and it really did help kind of bridge bridge that between everybody. But yeah, now this feature is coming along with a whole lot more. There's a lot of exciting things on the horizon um, with Apple announcing their their fall iPhone event uh, in just a week from now, a week and a day, we'll be seeing what might be unveiled uh, or we'll be seeing what will be unveiled in Cupertino this year. So hold your horses on the horizon because I do want to ask you a couple of specificity questions of when this does drop on iOS 16. Can you describe how a user is going to be able to edit their message? Like what, what that process is going to be like? So you send a message and it becomes blue, which means that it's an iMessage, and you see right underneath it whether it's been delivered or not. Well, that delivery notification and that sending is actually going to be kind of held in cyberspace for a two-minute period. If you press and hold that message for a momentary press, or they call it a long press on iOS, it's going to start wiggling like the home screen wiggles when you want to change something, and you'll be able to hit edit or you'll be able to hit delete, and you'll actually be able to delete the message entirely. Now, this means that the message actually could be delayed in being sent to the other person. So this is a feature that you're going to want to be careful of because if you're communicating iMessage to iMessage and you want to make sure those things get to somebody quickly, like in the broadcast world, we send a text we needed to get there. Yeah, prompt, um, prompt. You're going, to want, you're going to want to turn that off. You're going to want to turn that feature off, and you're going to want to not have to worry about you know, what you're sending or not sending to someone because there is that gap and delay that allows that feature to actually work. And so it's really that simple. Press and hold, and you'll be able to get those features. We officially so, live in a world where two minutes of delay seems, uh, seems daunting. Oh, no, what am I going to do if my text takes two minutes longer to get to someone? It's like seven-second delay in broadcast, right? You know, God forbid, you know, we have seven seconds of delay here. Now we're looking at two minutes just to have an iMessage. But, you know, you'll be able to also obviously correct something that you might have spanned, whether it's a misspelling, how many times do people send me a text and do oh, mark gosh, with a K yeah. instead of mark with a C. Uh, and really it's about those blunders, you know, those things like I really shouldn't have sent that. Why didn't <laughs> I think this through the first time? You want to recall that, then you can absolutely do it. I, I always find it funny, though. Don't, don't forget, you have to know what the other person is using, right? You have to see that blue, That's that blue too. bubble, yeah. which is hard. And we don't know how this is going to work yet on the accessibility side of things. When you're using voiceover, does it describe, you know, whether it's a text message or an iMessage? So we're going to have to see how that oh. function works. Yeah. That's a good observation. Yeah, got to think yeah. about that aspect. If you're not you're actually looking at the phone, you can't see the phone. How does voiceover define that? And then what are the functions do that? You know what? You just gave me a great idea for the Sean of the Shed episode. Hey, hey, there we go. Down over here, iMessage. Okay. We love producing on the fly on this show. It's how we do most of our best work. Uh, Mark, this may be diving way too deep into the zeros and ones, but what is this going to mean in terms of a cutoff for folks who may have a model of of Apple device who can't get iOS 16? That was asked really poorly, but but is there going to be a cutoff? So if if you have an older phone, will it still work? Is that the question? That is really well done. So that's that's a nice job of (laughs) summating a poorly phrased question on my end. In in another life, Dave. I'm a Dave Brown translator. Uh, English to Dave Brown to English. Uh, so uh, it, it has, there's no restrictions. Because it's a software-based feature that doesn't require any specific hardware, there are no limitations in terms of how far back in terms of uh, phones. That being said, iOS 16 is only compatible, I believe, with uh, you know what? I'll have to look this up while we do this. I think it's iPhone 10 and above. Okay. But, but 
you know, that's the only limitation is whether the hardware itself will actually support it. And, and it's not hardware driven, it's software driven. So will the hardware support iOS 16? If it does, that feature will be available. Okay. That's better okay. said, you see? You see, I mean, it, that's, that, <laughs> but like, that's it. Like it, it can get really complicated as you try to like lay these things out for people. Totally. Because there's some folks who are still very happy to have their, their Apple iPhone 4, right? Like they, like, they, oh, absolutely. Like they, they, absolutely. they love that device, but now they're not going to get these little perks, which by the way, happens across a lot of, a lot of updates, right? That after you've had yeah. a phone for two or three years, oftentimes you are going to be left out of all the software updates. Listen, totally. And, and, you know, if I look now, so the answer is iPhone 8 and above. So okay. as as generations have evolved, we've, 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 we've kind of hit this plateau in terms of hardware. Like hardware has gotten so fast and so attainable and so cheap that it's not really affecting the software. Like the software is able to continue to support all these older chips and older models because the hardware is not advancing as fast as, or or it is advancing, but it, but back to the iPhone 8, it's still as powerful. So yeah. that's why yeah. iOS 16 could work that far back. Back in the day when you're looking at like iOS 14 or 13, like it had a smaller shelf life. It only worked on newer devices. Now we're seeing longer and longer lifespans. That being said, it probably would work on an iPhone that's prior, but Apple just doesn't let that happen because they do want people out of those older devices because they only, once they discontinue a device like the iPhone 8, for example, or even the iPhone 10, which is discontinued now, they have to legally support that device with parts and, and manufacturer warranty and stuff for a certain period of time. And they don't want to do that for too long because that means they have to hang on to stuff yeah. that doesn't make them money. Yeah. So this is why when they release an operating system like this, they can via the software say, you know what? It's going to be iPhone 8 and beyond. Only the things that we still legally have to support right now. I'll never forget in the summer of 2011, I bought a new iPod and I was like, oh, it's going to be so great. I'm going to spend the summer living in Toronto, but I can load up all the music on my computer onto this new iPod because it's big enough. And then I plugged yeah. it into my computer and it said, no, no, Dave, uh, this is only compatible with <laughs> Mac OS Snow Leopard. And I don't know. I don't Snow know, Leopard. I, I don't, I don't yeah. know what OS I was on at the time, but it certainly wasn't Snow Leopard. And I'll never forget how many expletives I used that morning to be like, I just spent $300. And now you're a PC person. Stupid. And that's what happened. Yeah, and exactly. that, that is actually kind of. <laughs> Kind of what happened that is kind of well that wasn't the final nail but that was definitely a nail in the uh i don't know somewhat large coffin uh for my old imac that i loved uh mark you mentioned other stuff on the horizon expectations yeah. brambling and brewing out of some events uh, next week so what is on the agenda or expectations well, for apple to announce this fall we're definitely going to hear about new iphones the iphone 14 is around the corner we're not expecting major changes uh, other than new camera systems, which is something we pretty much get every couple of years. Obviously, some new colors, maybe some new cases. We're expecting to hear about a new pro version or a rugged version of the Apple Watch. This is, you know, on the rumor scale, probably I'd say about 50% likeliness. Something that's going to be 47 millimeters, a little bit bigger, a little bit more flat of a design. Something that what is supposed to, rumored to have come out last year uh, that wasn't, so it was pushed away. Uh, iOS 16, of course, will be announced. Uh, iOS 16 for iPads pushed about a month because they're still working on certain features there and we're expecting to see uh, some new airpods and some other small little tidbits there's also rumors about satellite phone capabilities Ooh. on the iphone again very 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 premature rumors so you know nothing is ever really told until the day of apple can pull something the last minute so we're going to see what's going to happen literally a week and a day from now and just a couple hours mark thank you for this we appreciate it Thanks, Dave. That's Mark Aflalo. He's one of the co-hosts of Double Tap TV, which you can find Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Coming up after the break, a new face on the entertainment beat. At least for a little bit. You'll get to meet Eliza Rocco. And Nazreen's back. So that's fun, too. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. 
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. You may have noticed that we like to play musical chairs around here. A lot of people do a lot of things behind the scenes of the show to make it as good as it is. But as the music continues and the chairs run out, folks get to try new things. So a voice and face you're going to hear from quite a bit over the course of the next, let's call it six to seven weeks, is Eliza Rocco, who's been working behind the scenes with our TV side for couple months now but for a little bit eliza's going to be joining us on camera today starting with the entertainment reports hello eliza welcome thank you dave happy to be here we're really glad to have you on board and thankfully today was not a slow news day in the world of entertainment because there was a whole bunch of hardware handed out by mtv last night oh yeah the This year, there was the 2022 MTV Music Video Awards, and uh, what a year it was for the VMAs. Um, A lot of people took home a lot of things. Our our boy, Harry Styles, he took home three wins. (laughs) Requisite Harry Styles mention for the day. That's good. Grace is very happy. (laughs) He, He took home Album of the Year. Best pop song and best cinematography for as it was a music video, um, but the biggest winner of the night was Taylor Swift, who took who took home the best long form video and video of the year for her song All Too Well. Oh, nice! Um, she was the only artist to double up on televised awards as well. Um, and this year was especially notable for her as for the first time in VMA history, four of the directors nominated in the Video of the Year category were women. Hey, right on. Right? And uh, during her speech, she also announced a new album called Midnight's coming out in October. A little Taylor Swift promo there for you. <laughs> and she broke records by being the only artist to win a third Video of the Year trophy and first to win a video she directed herself. I... I don't think there's anybody in the music industry who stays as busy as Taylor Swift, whether it was re-recording a bunch of her earlier music as part of a lawsuit workaround that she'd been doing, but also releasing new albums. You mentioned the, the new announcement of an album last night. The fact is directing her own music videos. Eliza, I'm struggling to think of someone who stays as busy as Taylor Swift. She's a busy, busy woman. She's even continuing with this new album put out. She's still continuing to re-record her own albums. Her old albums. I don't know. I don't know how she does it. I can't. Even Harry Styles isn't as busy as Taylor Swift. <laughs> and he and he's been staying busy. He's been locking down Madison Square Garden for uh, a lot of shows of late, oh, yeah. which is really interesting. He only he got kicked out one night for Billy Joel. I mean, that is the house that uh, Billy built after all. Very fair. Very fair. I think Billy Joel is allowed to kick anyone uh, out of there. Taylor also is going to be featured in a small acting role in an upcoming movie called The Dropout. So she's uh, definitely staying busy in a lot of different ways, even after her first acting uh, situation in Cats that didn't go uh, so spectacularly well. That was a performance. That was um, that was something. I, I did enjoy that movie a lot. Maybe not for good reasons. Yeah, exactly. It's the kind of movie that maybe you end up uh, laughing at a little bit. A little bit. Uh, a little bit. Eliza, point of curiosity. We did this after the Junos earlier this summer. I bounced the ball around the table asking people about how an award show may influence their taste. 
it's getting really hard to stay on top of all of this stuff, right? Like Harry Styles, Taylor Swift, that stuff's pretty common. Even stuff like Spotify or Apple Music is going to tell us when they release something new. But do you find that as you may look over the results of something like the MTV VMAs, the Video Music Awards, that's actually going to potentially direct your interest for a day or two? I think especially in like the music video world, right? Because we don't think of music videos in the same way that we used to as sort of a prominent way in which music is being distributed. Now it's a little bit rarer to watch a music video. Will you maybe go to YouTube today and say, hey, this video won for this. I want to see what the buzz was. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, For example, Taylor Swift's long form video one. And as much as that was hyped up online and with my friends, I have yet to watch it. So I'm definitely going to watch that one as well. The winner of artist of the year this year was someone called Bad Bunny. Mm hmm. Never listened to them, never heard of them, but <laughs> artist of the year, right? So I feel like I, ha- I have to dive deep into Bad Bunny and take a listen. So Bad Bunny, I know for two reasons. One, because uh, a podcast that I listen to based out of Miami has a lot of Hispanic guys on it. And Bad Bunny's style of music is very sort of a combination of R&B and, and Hispanic music. So it's got a little bit of a connection to that Miami scene that I follow. But two, he was involved heavily in WrestleMania a couple of years ago. So that put him on my radar as well. Really? See? Oh, that is interesting. I should know Bad Bunny then. Yeah. Look I at, know a little bit of wrestling. You, you so. occasionally have some exposure to wrestling in your life. which a we'll, Which we have to talk about off air because I'm not sure my friends bought their tickets for <gasps> AEW on Friday. Oh, we put dang. we put the wrong guy in charge. Oh, I, no. I was on the air when they were on sale. There was nothing I could do. We may have put the wrong guy in in charge. But anyway, we'll, t- we'll talk about that off the air. Looking forward to Eliza, it. thank you for this. Thank you. That is Eliza Rocco. You're going to hear lots from Eliza over the course of the next couple of weeks, and we're delighted to have her on board. A face and voice you're familiar with making her grand return after a week away is Nazreen Abdelmajid telling you what's trending. Nazreen, you also have the Video Music Awards on your mind, but one performance in particular stuck out to you. Absolutely. We're sticking to VMA topics. So Jack Harlow is trending along with Fergie. Rapper, the big time rapper Jack Harlow, made his mark throughout the entire show when he kicked off the VMAs with a performance inside a mock airplane, walking down an aisle while performing his hit song First Class. Uh, which was sampled by Fergie's Glamorous. And that's why we bring up Fergie, because she made a surprise appearance and joined him on stage, which was insane. She doesn't, she looks the same. Dave, she looks absolutely the same. But nonetheless, she wore a sparkling silver dress uh, with the red words first class while she sang her 2006 jam. Um, After First Class won the award for Song of the Summer, not surprised there, he told the audience, quote, to bring Fergie into the mix in in this way means the world to me. Glamorous was one of the most important songs of my childhood, end quote. Um, Were you a big fan of Glamorous? Were you a big fan of Fergie? Uh, So the Black Eyed Peas, it's funny, I made made reference to Van's Warped Tour. Uh, earlier in the show when talking about Woodstock 99. So when Woodstock 99 was, uh, excuse me, when Vans Warped Tour was touring around in the late 90s, the Black Eyed Peas, before they brought Fergie in, 
were on that bill. And I was blown away by this kind of like melding of hip hop and rock and pop. And I was like, this band's yeah. cool. And then they bring in Fergie and the whole thing just blows up, right? They just become monstrous, monstrous. They top mm-hmm. the charts all over the place. And then Fergie sets out on the solo career with songs like, I think, was Fergalicious an actual song or was that the name of the album? Fergalicious Definition. Yeah, oh, it, no, it was an actual song. <laughs> yeah, so there was, yeah, yeah, so there was, yeah, so there was like some Fergalicious going on. There was Big Girls Don't Cry. There was Glamorous. There was London Bridge, which was like actually a really naughty song if you go deeper into the lyrics. Yeah. So I actually had a real thing for Fergie's overall vibe, um, whether it was with the Black Eyed Peas or her solo work. Because, you know, mm-hmm. what you going to do with all that junk, all that junk inside your trunk. I'm gonna go, go, go get you drunk. Get you love drunk off my humps. My hump, my humps. My lovely lady loves. Check it out. Um, yeah, so I was always a big fan. I was always a big fan of Fergie. Uh, Nazreen, what do you think of folks like Jack Harlow taking these samples and reinventing them that are also largely driven by TikTok? Because that's been a monster on TikTok all summer. I loved it. To be honest, I loved hearing uh, Glamorous Fergie bring it, bringing it back. It just, just the throwbacks in general, as everyone knows, I love my throwback songs. So kind of him sampling the old 2006 song just made it go crazy. And it just brought me back to too many throwback songs. And I started to listen to Fergalicious again and Glamorous again. And and I, I like the remix, to be honest. I really liked his first class song. It was a, it was a nice mix. So I, I was into it. In the perpetual ongoing exercise of me feeling older and older and older on air, it does stun me that songs from 2006 are now being considered like classic hits <laughs> from 2006. Throwback. It's like, no, I was young. I was in university. I was dancing. Oh and now I'm just being like, oh, young people learning this It wasn't this that long ago. It, 16 years ago was a long time ago. Yeah. A lot's yeah. changed for me in 16 it's years. Okay. Nazreen, thank you for this. You got it. That's Nazreen Abdel-Majid letting you know what's trending. I'll tell you what's coming up on Kelly and Company this afternoon. No rum yet today, but the gang is still getting back to work at 2 p.m. Eastern time. You just heard from our guy, Brock Richardson. He's going to talk a little bit of sports and preview the neutral zone. Michelle Dudas is the senior producer of AMI This Week. She's joining the show to wrap up the series that was AMI This Week on AMI-tv as the last ever episode of ATW is airing tonight. A show that uh, I was a huge part of, not to sort of like pat myself on the back or toot my horn, just for the first like five, six years of AMI this week and AMI this weekend, I was kind of a central figure. So makes me uh, yearn, much like songs from 2006 winning awards as remixes, make me yearn, makes me think back to some of my early work in the TV side on AMI-TV. So AMI this week saying bye-bye. So Michelle Dudas will wrap up that by talking to the gang, plus in an effort to raise funds for her favorite four-legged foundation, local canine legend, and international barbecue sensation, Miss Deborah Rose is giving Canadians a chance to try her award-winning barbecue sauce. I feel like Jeff Ryman booked that interview. Kelly and Company, coming your way, 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, Shani Saravanamuthu will look ahead to Fighting Blindness Canada's Young Leaders Summit. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's head down the 401 to catch up with community reporter Shiny Saravanamuthu in Montreal, Quebec. Hey, good morning, Shiny. Hey, how are you? Happy Monday. Happy Monday to you too. Great way to start the week by chatting with you, Shiny. Listen, every city probably claims to have the most fun summer. But Montreal <laughs> is internationally renowned for having fun summers. So how are those summer vibes coming along? Good. It's hard to believe they're coming to an end. And I feel like it's, I don't know about for you, but for me, I feel like it's zoomed by and I can't believe it's September this week. Hard to believe. Um, but yeah, I would like to say like I, this was like our first, for everyone, our first post-COVID summer where you can full on be at someone's house and not feel guilty. You can go places, you know, and people were able to have their weddings and baby showers again. So I think it, it was a packed summer for everyone. And I think maybe that's why it went by so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm feeling something similar, shiny. It went by quick. <laughs> it feels like there's been a lot of work on this show, which maybe hasn't allowed for as much fun as I would have <laughs> liked, but I'll, but I'll, t- but I'll tell you, as I look back and I reflect on a bachelor party in Halifax, going into Ottawa a couple of times, spending a lot of time poolside with some really close family friends and some friends mm-hmm. and some friends of my own, it, uh, some patio time here and there, spending a lot of time in the West end of downtown Toronto. It really feels like you're right. There was something to the summer where it felt like the pressure was sort of taken off a teensy tiny bit, that the pressure valve got released. Yeah. And everyone was just like, okay, we have to do something. We don't know if we're going to go back into lockdown again. You know, like everyone's trying to make the best (laughs) of their summer. And I feel like everyone feels the same way where it's just like, it just zoomed by. Yeah. Although shiny, I'll tell you this, my fall is looking like it's going to be pretty busy. I've got a wedding coming up on the weekend of September the 10th, which is is going to be in the Eastern townships of Montreal. I've got two weddings in October for members of the AMI family, which I'm super excited about. I was just telling Mike Ross earlier uh, this show that uh, I tried on my suit yesterday and it still fit, which I was very happy about considering how many chips I've eaten in the last couple of years. So yeah, I would say, I would say it's a busy summer that's leading right into a busy fall. And that's going to be the case in Montreal for sure, because September is going to start and there's a cool dance festival going on. So what's coming up with the Festival Cartier Danse? So that's actually how starting from September 7th to September 18th. And fun, um, fun fact, they're actually inviting people to be able to see like the dress rehearsals that are happening up until the 2nd of September. So if you go on their website, you can kind of see where some of these dress rehearsals are happening. So if you kind of don't want to pay for the show, you kind of can watch the dress rehearsal <laughs> for some of them. <laughs> but the actual festival is from the 7th to the 18th. And uh, tickets prices vary depending on where the venue is of the show. There's a, about three different venues that the shows can be happening at throughout the festival. So there can be about three shows happening at the same time in different venues. Um, yeah. And all there's there, it's the 20th anniversary. So they have a huge lineup fixed for this year. And once again, it's the first one since post COVID that you can have indoors and I believe it can be full capacity for them. So I'm um, looking forward to it. Uh, there is like a Bollywood segment that's happening on the, t- on the 10th, I believe not the 10th, yeah, on the 10th of September. So I'm looking forward to that. It's actually one of my friends who's a choreographer. So I'm looking forward oh, cool. to that. 
Yeah. So dance is a huge part of my my upbringing, my childhood, my adolescence. So I'm looking forward to that. So yeah, walk me through a little bit what the Bollywood experience maybe because that, that's what's cool about that's what's cool about the Festival Dance Quartier. Yeah, is that you're talking about so many different cultural styles of music exactly. going on across the city. But dive a little bit deeper into into like the meaningfulness of the Bollywood performances for you. So I'm South Asian and I grew up doing classical dancing. And then when I got into college, I I joined a lot of dance teams and we competed. um, Mostly we would come to Toronto to compete against all the other universities and we'd be a Bollywood based team. So we do a lot of like Indian dancing, classical, there's fusion. Now there's like, and I feel like a lot of people are more known to the Bollywood dance uh, because of now like if you look watch Dancing with the Stars they even have segments where they do Bollywood dancing so I feel like and now with Netflix you're kind of intertwined with so many cultures and different things nowadays so I feel like it's not just South Asian people that enjoy Bollywood now or we're not the only ones who even do the dance anymore there's so many other cultures that even do our dance now so I think it's nice to see our culture being put on a platform that's that's well known in the city. So it's, it's nice. Yeah. It's, it's really neat to see the tapestry coming together. And as you say, streaming <laughs> culture has made it a lot easier to get your hands on a lot of that content. I remember when I used to work at a video store in NDG, we had like the teensiest, tiniest little Bollywood section in the corner yeah. of the store. And those are some of the most popular videos because people were coming yeah. by. They were like, no, no, these are the stories that mean something to me. And this yeah. is what I want to do on my Saturday afternoon. So it's so cool to see that tapestry continuing to get enriched. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Shiny, one more thing you want to put on our radar. So we've talked to, we've looked past into the summer. We've looked into September in Montreal, but now we're going just a little bit outside of the Montreal region, but we'll allow it. Tell me what's coming up with Fighting Blindness Canada and their Young Leaders Program in Toronto. So since COVID, this will be the very first in-person Young Leaders Summit since COVID. And we're we're quite excited because in the past like two years, it's all been online. And the best parts of these summits are being able to meet people like yourself, young adults with visual impairments in person. And besides the whole technical and like the formal part of the summit, the best part is the people that you meet and what you do after the summit, <laughs> the things that you do, like the social events and all that stuff, because you really get to get know people. You make lifelong friends. You meet people who can help you out things that you might've never known you have access to. And it's just a weekend that's really good for your soul. I'm not trying to be corny here, but from my experience it is it's one of the best weekends and I'm so happy that it's in person and it's in Toronto. So like, it's very accessible to a lot of people. Um, it will be October 15th to 16th. Uh, the Saturday program will start around 12 PM and end at 6 PM followed by like a social event slash dinner that you are optional to uh, join. And then on the Sunday, it'll start at 9 AM and I'll finish at 3 PM. Uh, it will take place at the Nova hotel, North York hotel, um, so it's not in the core of downtown, but you're somewhat close by. Um, yeah, so that's the great part about it. And honestly, it's and also if you are not in the Toronto area and would like to come uh, there, they do offer travel bursaries. Um, so that way it's not a cost on your end. And the actual summit itself, it's free to register. So mm. It's great that Fighting Blindness Canada is is providing this because it's a great way for people to meet people. Even if you live in Alberta, you can come to Toronto and a a big part of it will be covered. So it's great. And honestly, I recommend it to so many people. I'm a little too old 
old, but I'll still be there as a as an OG chairman. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that even as we get to no longer identify ourselves as young, we still like being around yeah. the young people. It's still yeah. acceptable to be around the young, young people, <laughs> young at heart. Yeah, uh, shiny. We've only got a couple minutes left here on the clock, but yeah. j- but just sort of go over that bursary, that travel bursary th- element of this one more time here, just in case so, folks maybe you you, you might have caught them by surprise with that. Yeah, so just the, if you're outside of Toronto, you do have a bit more of a travel bursary. I believe it's up to $500 for the weekend, including your flight, train, uh, your taxi for the weekend. And then um, if you're within the Ontario, I believe it's $100. You can you can correct me on that if I'm incorrect. I believe it's around $100, $150. So uh, when you register uh, online for the summit, you can mention that you do need travel arrangements. And then they'll email you with the details of how to proceed with the travel bursary. And I'm going to give an email address here for folks if they do want to have some inquiries or learn more about this. Because again, the event's coming up soon here. I, I know October 15th, yeah. 16th feels like it's a way away. That's actually only about six or seven weeks away. So yeah. if arrangements need to be made, they need to be arranged, they need to be made soon. So I'm going to yeah. give I'm going to give the email address here for folks and then we're going to put it up on the blog after the show as well at ami.ca slash now blog. So it's education at fightingblindness.ca, education at fightingblindness.ca. Notice I put the ing on there properly. I'll never forget once in a when I was early on in my, my work here in the industry, I had a colleague who told me, Dave, we here at the National Broadcaster don't say going, we say going. And to this day, I still sometimes drop my G's, but I sometimes like to really lay into it. Hey, Shiny, thank you for this. We always appreciate uh, your thoughts on this. Thank you for starting our week off on the right foot. And uh, we'll talk to you for a lifestyle report soon. Yes. Take care. Have a great week. Thank you very much. That's Shiny Saravanamuthu, community reporter in Montreal. AMI.ca slash now blog is the website where you go to learn more information about the stories that we cover on the show, especially when we're talking about phone numbers and email addresses and websites. We don't want you to worry about writing the stuff down in real time or hitting rewind 17 times on your podcast platform to try and figure out what we said. Don't sweat it. Head over to the blog, AMI.ca slash now blog, AMI slash now blog. That's all the time we have for the show today. We appreciate you starting your week off with us, whether you were watching on TV, listening on audio, or downloading the podcast on demand on your favorite podcasting platform. We appreciate you, your eyes, and your ears. Until we do this again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.